0: Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Years ago, uh, long before entering vocational ministry, I received one of the most interesting but also one of the most important pieces of advice I think I'd ever received. This person said, being in ministry will either make you a much better Christian or it will make you a much worse Christian. That quote perplexed me. After all, I could easily imagine how spending intentional time each week for study, uh, uh, sermons or or teaching or counseling, how that would deepen my relationship with God. What made me curious was the second part of that statement, that warning. Warning that there is a really good chance, if I am not careful, that ministry could actually make me a much worse Christian. But trusting the source, I decided to seek an explanation rather than just dismiss it outright. And I soon discovered that what this person meant was that discouragement and stress and urgency of various parts of ministry can, if the pastor is not intentional, crowd out an actual love for God and replace it with simply a projection of love while the heart continues to decay. Now, one doesn't need to dig too hard to find examples of this in Christian ministry. I have a number of books on my shelf in my office that are written by those who now their love for God has grown cold. As their ministries continued and went on and on, they lost the faith that they once professed. Even here on Sunday mornings, occasionally we sing songs by those who now look with laments back at the words that they wrote and say, oh, if I could only believe that once more. Indeed, church history is filled with examples of pastors who have lost their passion, Pastors who have lost their moral compasses, even those who have lost the gospel in their ministries. And if you were to ask a number of non-Christians what it is that they say is one of their biggest concerns or biggest objections about the church is that they knew pastors who were fake, who were manipulative, who were hypocrites in their ministry. This was certainly the case in Malachi's day. The priests of Malachi's day were anything but sincere in their faith. They had been putting on a show in their worship for their congregations, and even thinking that they could fool God, pretending that the worship that they offered to God was actually pleasing to God, that it was there coming from their hearts, when in reality, their hearts were far from God. And last week if you were with us we saw a very difficult passage a very important passage where God addresses these these priests and he rebukes them and he challenges them to examine their hearts because God is not fooled and God sees their worship as despicable as something that is deserving of utter contempt and utter hatred. And this morning we continue our journey through the book of Malachi and again it's a it's a rebuke addressed to the priests. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be in the first nine verses of this chapter. As we look at this passage and this, uh, this morning's text, we're going to notice that it is addressed to priests, and it gives us a very clear description of the expectations that God has for those who are going to lead his people. In fact, if we were to sum up this morning's passage in just one simple sentence, I think it would be this, the highest calling of a leader in the church, the highest calling of a leader in the church is to God's glory and to God's word. The highest calling of a leader in the church is to God's glory and to God's word. There is nothing that is more important for the leader of the church than to recognize these two things, to be utterly committed to these two areas, to God's glory and to God's word. And as we explore this passage this morning, we're going to see how the priests of Israel were failing in their commitment to those two things. They were were failing in their commitment to God's word. They were failing in their commitment to God's glory. And as a result, we see God commit to bring judgment and curses, and indeed, he already has Has brought judgment and curses upon Israel because they failed to recognize God's word and they failed to recognize God's glory. And so, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at it in three different areas. First, we're going to look at how this passage describes an unfaithful leader. Then, we're going to look at how God responds to unfaithful leaders. And then, finally, we're going to look at how this passage describes a faithful leader in the church. If you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 1 of Malachi chapter 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send this curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on my lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest shall guard knowledge, and people shall seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But... You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. As we see from this passage, the focus here is on priests and on their failure. Now, if you were with us last week as we looked at this passage, we, we saw that last week, even though it was a passage that was addressed to priests, we, we talked about how it was applicable to all of us. Last week, the focus was on the priests and their role in worship. And by extension, all of us serve as priests because all of us worship God. It's a passage that is relevant for all of us, not just for those who are in leadership. But this morning, we're looking at a passage that is again addressed to priests, but I'm saying it's primarily just focused on those who are leaders in the church. And you may be saying, why? What's the difference here in the application? Well, the answer is found in verse 7. Verse 7 describes one of the roles of priests here, and it says this, for the lips of a priest shall guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Last week was a passage that was addressed to priests, but a focus on all of us because it was concerned with the priest's role in worship. This morning, however, the focus is on the priest's role in teaching and in proclamation. Proclamation. Now, that's not to say that this passage doesn't have anything important to say to you if you have no interest in serving as a pastor or in, on an elder board or serving on a ministry team or teaching Crosswinds classes or leading the life group or helping out on the worship team or helping out with our students. In fact, this is a very important passage for each of us regardless of what God has called us to in the church. There are a few reasons why I think this passage is so important for us this morning. First, the truths in this passage apply to each of us in our Christian witness outside the church. Many of the things, in fact, most of the things that are mentioned here about the pastor or the leader in the church are not just concerned with those in the church, but are applicable to each of us in our Christian witness outside of the church. So the call to be utterly committed to God's glory. The call to be utterly committed to God's word is something that each of us can apply to our lives when we live out our lives each and every day. Second, there is a reality that there is a a surplus of of Christian teaching available to us because of technology. The internet, podcasts, videos, more, all of these things make uh, the world at our fingertips. And hopefully, by studying this passage, we will see with increasing discernment that if we decide to listen to sermons or watch videos or read books by those outside the church, we will be more prepared. Third, many of us have family members that live far away. And hearing these words can give us wisdom and discernment on how to counsel our children or our siblings or even our parents in the search for a church that is committed to God's word. And finally, perhaps most important, these words give us the right categories for prayer as well as for accountability for your pastors and other church leaders. These words can guide you in how to properly pray for your leaders and as well as how to properly see if they are doing an effective job, if they are fulfilling their calling as leaders well. Hopefully, by studying this passage, we can see what matters most to God from pastors, from leaders, and we can be intentional in praying for them, as well as discerning the presence of those things or the lack thereof in their lives and in their ministries. So while this may be addressed to a subsection of the church, I think it has much to say to each and every one of us this morning, no matter our role in the church so let's consider first, a, a passage from this passage, the marks of an unfaithful church leader, an unfaithful Christian leader. There are so many areas here that we could look at. I just want to consider uh, three for us this morning. The first one is this, an unfaithful leader is unconcerned with the word of God. An unfaithful leader is unconcerned with the word of God. Consider verses 1 and 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you, if you will not listen, If you will not take it to heart to give glory and honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. The priests in Malachi's day were unconcerned with God's word. That's why Malachi starts by saying, And now, O priests, this is my command for you, if you will not listen. God had spoken to the priests through the scriptures, and yet they had ignored him. The book of Deuteronomy is a warning for the people of Israel, saying that if the people of Israel forsake the Lord, their God, then they will face curses. And the priests ignored those warnings and instead continued to merely offer up to God vain worship, just going through the motions of their priestly duty. Verse 2 tells us that if the priests continue to not listen, if they continue to just go through the motions, then they, will face, uh, then they will face even more severe judgment from God because they will not repent. You see, the unfaithful Christian leader is unconcerned with the word of God on a personal level. God is addressing this specifically to them, saying if you will not repent, this is the result that will happen to you. And the unfaithful leader doesn't really care, doesn't apply God's word on a personal level. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't reform his life to be in step with the commands of the Bible. But this passage also tells us that this is not just a personal neglect of God's word. This passage also tells us that there was a public neglect of God's word as well. Consider verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. The priests here in in Malachi's day were causing many people to stumble by their instruction. They were not teaching the Bible. Verse 7, we'll look at this verse in a little bit. Verse 7 tells us that God has appointed these people as messengers, and yet these people, instead of faithfully carrying the message that God had charged them to do, they chose to ignore it. They chose to twist it. They chose to warp it. Now, the, the content today may be different. The content of false teaching today is certainly different than it was in Malachi's day and age, but at the same time today, the same thing can be said of all people who bear the name pastor and yet forget to cling to the word of God. As the people gather together, they are not given a bountiful feast from the word of God, but instead are treated to the musings of a person who has no concern for God's word, no category to consider God's word. All too often it is just like a pastor said 150 years ago, instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church has clowns entertaining the goats. The neglect of the word of God has devastating consequences for the pastor on both a personal and on a ministry level. Shortly before entering pastoral ministry, I received another piece of advice. This was from a professor. He said that the most important thing that I could do in my life, that the most important thing I could do for my ministry was to know and read the scriptures with the highest priority. He said the most important thing that I could do was to know and encounter God through his words because that girds the Christian leader against any number of snares and the most deadly of these snares is a loss of honor and respect for god that's the second mark of an unfaithful christian leader that we see in this passage an unfaithful christian leader is unconcerned with the glory of god consider again verse 2 if you will not listen if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name says the lord of hosts then i will curse i will send the curse upon you and i will curse your blessings Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Notice the second phrase of that passage, of that verse. If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name. The priests here were neglecting the glory of God in their sacrifices, like we looked at last week, and in their teaching, as we see this week. Rather than being God-centered, their teaching was focused on man. It was focused on the threats facing them. It was focused on what would make people comfortable. It is deadly for Christian leaders to neglect the glory of God in their calling. But again, there is another way that leaders can neglect the glory of God. Not only in a public way, when they are teaching others, when they are ministering to others, but consider this phrase once again. This phrase says, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name. The text is less concerned with one's proclaimed theology, what one is saying to the church. It might be right on track, and it's far more concerned with the issues of the heart, The question here is not, Jordan, are you preaching and directing people to my glory? The question is, Jordan, are you yourself concerned with my glory? It is a very personal question for the the church leader. God is not just concerned with the content of someone's preaching, of someone's teaching, of someone's leadership. It could be theologically sound. God is far more concerned because he knows the hearts of those who lead, and he is far more concerned with what is the greatest concern of those leaders. Do they burn for the glory of God above all else? Is it present not just in their sermons, but in every facet of their lives? Or like the priests in Malachi's day, are they just going through the motions? Are they just saying the right words? Do they actually care about the content that they proclaim? One final mark of the unfaithful church leader. An unfaithful leader is unconcerned with their own holiness. An unfaithful church leader is unconcerned with their own holiness. Note verses 8 and 9. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will make you despised and abased before all the people. inasmuch as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. God here is describing the priests and he says that they have turned aside from my ways in verse 8. Verse 9, he says, they do not keep my ways. The image here is of a road that one can walk down with God. And yet the priests decide to blaze their own path. Their calling has been dismissed as nothing more than a way for them to simply just put food on the table. Now, as we know from other books that deal with this same time period in Israel's history, books like Nehemiah, the priests, become increasingly immoral during this season. They ignore biblical commands to not marry pagans. They divorce flippantly. They don't care for those who are poor and are in need. They are guilty before God because they didn't care about their own holiness, the only the, the calls that God had upon their lives. And all too often, this is true for those who are unconcerned with the word of God, unconcerned with God's glory. They give very little thought, if at all, to their own holiness. Before we continue, consider what the result of all this is from verse 8. But you have turned aside from my way You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Through their lives, and specifically through their teaching, these people, these priests, are leading many astray. This is the enormous responsibility of a spiritual leader. Spiritual leaders are not just considered responsible for their own souls before God, but they're also considered responsible for all those souls that God entrusts into their care. Here in this passage, God's anger burns white hot toward the priests because they are not just shipwrecking their own faiths, they're also bringing others down with them. Jesus says in the gospels, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Those who are in a position of leadership in the church, whether they're a pastor, an elder, a ministry leader, a teacher, a worship leader, a life group leader, and on and on, they should consider seriously the warning of this passage. Is our fail, are, are we faithful to God's calling or are we failing God's calling? Are we guilty of being unconcerned with the word of God, being guilty of unconcerned with the glory of God, being guilty of being unconcerned with our own holiness? Are we causing others to stumble? The priests were certainly guilty before God and they were about to face judgment from God because of this. Indeed, this passage tells us that the Attitude that God has toward the priest is severe. I think the only real way to describe it is controlled fury. God is completely in control of his anger, and yet he is furious toward those priests who are dishonoring him and those who are leading people astray. And so in this passage, he lists three ways how God responds to those who are unfaithful in their calling of Christian leadership. First is this God. It says, if they will not repent, God will curse the work of their hands. God will curse the work of their hands. Look at verse 2. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send curses upon you and I will curse your blessing. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Notice the mention of curse here. He says, I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Now, one of the responsibilities of the priests in the Old Testament was to pronounce a blessing upon the people when they would offer a sacrifice. If you grew up in a traditional church, you're likely familiar with this uh, this blessing, with the wording of this blessing. It's from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Day after day week after week, month after month, year after year, the priests would say those words. And they didn't believe a word of it. And so what God says here, says if you continue doing this, if you continue in unrepentance, I'm going to turn these useless blessings on their head. I'm going to take those blessings and I'm going to make them curses. I am not going to bless the people. I'm not going to keep the people. I'm not going to make my face shine upon the people. I'm not going to be gracious to the people. I'm not going to gaze upon them with favor. I'm not going to give them peace. All the labors of your hands, all your land, all your family, all the covenant itself, these things are going to disappear. The work of your hands would vanish because of their unrepentance. Second, if they will not repent, God will cut them off from him and from his covenant. If they will not repent, God will cut them off from him and from his covenant. Verse 3, behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Here, we see that because of their unrepentant hearts. God is going to curse the people. In fact, he's already cursed the people, and he's cursed the people's offspring. He's cursed the priest's offspring here. Now, before we wonder, is God being fair if he's punishing the children for the sins of their parents? Let's consider the context of this passage. If you notice, as we've been looking through this, there's a mention of a covenant here over and over again a covenant that has been made with the priests, specifically with their ancestor Levi. Now, this covenant isn't mentioned very often in the Old Testament. It's only mentioned a handful of times. One of those places tells us that this covenant is going to be a perpetual priesthood because the line of Levi, specifically the line of Phineas, a faithful priest, was honoring to God. Numbers chapter 25 tells us this, Therefore say, Behold, I give to him, being Phinehas, my covenant of peace, and I shall be to him and to his descendants after him, a covenant of perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Notice that text tells us that this covenant with the priests was perpetual, but it wasn't necessarily everlasting. Everlasting. In Malachi's day, we have this threat that God levels against the offspring of the priests and it's not an injustice on God's part. It is instead a statement that if the priests don't repent, if they don't take seriously their calling from God, then God is going to remove the priesthood from them. Their descendants will no longer be priests before him. Imagine the severity of this declaration if you can't respect your calling then I'm going to rip it out of your hands and I'm going to rip it out of the hands of your children as well. This is emphasized by the graphic imagery that you may have noticed in the rest of verse three. When offering sacrifices, there were specific regulations on what you were supposed to do with certain body parts, certain parts of the animal that you were sacrificing. You were to take those parts of the animal, the refuse of the animal outside of the camp and you were just supposed to dispose it there as a way to not disgrace God. And the priests apparently didn't care. They didn't care. They were too lazy to bring this stuff out of the camp. And so instead, they continued to just offer feces on the altar to God. The rest of the animals being offered, well, let's just offer this up as well. They didn't care about God's holiness, and God is furious in response. He says, if you do not repent, I'm going to shove your faces in the feces. That will show how you are disgracing me. Being covered with that will show, how every, show everyone how God views them as disgraceful, as disgusting, as defiled. They were supposed to take those parts of the animal out of of the camp, away from the offering. But since they refused, God says, I will take you away instead. I'm going to cut you out from the covenant of the priesthood that I've given to you because of your evil. Now, before we continue, I want to just pause. If you've ever been hurt in the past by pastoral failure... Have you ever experienced issues of hypocrisy, of, of worldliness, of emptiness from pastors in the past, That's it's caused you to become so jaded toward God, toward the church, you even begin to question the faith? The words of God here in verse 3 are very, very clear. God hates the hypocrisy of church leaders. 10,000 times more than any of us could. God deeply cares for his covenant. God deeply cares for his people. And God says if they do not repent, they will repay their evil. God will cut them off from his covenant. So don't let them drag you down with them. Don't let them abandon your faith. Don't let them lead you astray because God cares far too much for you. God cares far too much for his church and for his people for that to happen. God says, I'm going to cut them out of the covenant. One final Response here to unfaithful church leaders: If they will not repent, God will make them despised among all people. God will make them despised among all people. Notice verse nine, the very end of this section. And so I make, uh, so I make despise and abase before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality to your instruction. The irony of this verse is that the people are limiting what they're teaching. They're refusing to reign faithful to God and to his word because they wanted to stay on the good side of certain people in the congregation. They knew certain people would be offended if they said certain things, and so they just ignored those parts of the Bible. And yet, God says that they're going to be despised by everyone anyway. Because of their commitment to love people more than God, God is going to make them despised by everyone. Everyone. God takes the failure of his leaders very seriously, and he will do anything to get them to repent. But even more so, he will do anything to protect his church, to protect his people, and to protect his glory, as we see in these verses. Now, thankfully, this passage isn't just one of doom and gloom. In the midst of it, there is this focus right in the center A picture is painted of a faithful Christian leader, a faithful priest. Let's consider three marks of faithfulness from these verses. First, a faithful leader stands in awe of God. They stand in awe of God. Consider verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. God is speaking of a faithful priest in ages past when he describes this covenant that God has with this priest. He says this priest honored God above all else because he was reverently fearful of God. He had an awe in God. And I think... If we were to boil down the hearts of all Christian ministry that is faithful to God, it is primarily an awe in God. It is a holy fear. It is a reverent fear for the king of all creation who has humbled himself to become a part of that creation in order to save us. G.K. Chesterton was an English poet in the 1900s, and he said, The world will never starve from lack of wonders, but only from a lack of wonder. The world will never starve from a lack of wonders, only from a lack of wonder. All creation, let alone all Scripture, is filled with countless examples of God's glory, filled with countless examples that are meant to inspire awe in each and every one of us. And yet passion can wane, wonder can fade, and though life around us is no less wonderful. The truths of Scripture are no less wonderful. They can inspire less wonder. Albert Einstein famously said, He who can no longer pause and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. To lose awe... To lose holy fear in God is deadly. And so the first mark of a faithful pastor, a faithful leader here, according to Malachi, is to focus our rapt attention on the glory of God. Second, a faithful leader is committed to faithful teaching. Notice verses 6 and 7. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Why is it that God is so pleased with the faithful ministry of this priest? It's because he remains faithful to the message. He remains faithful to his word. The priest here is considered a messenger, and as a messenger, they are called to remain faithful to the message that they are given. Imagine the confusion, the frustration that we would have if we could not depend on our postal system to deliver our mail unaltered. Could we really trust the bill? Could we really trust that Aunt Jenny wrote that letter? Could we really trust that this important notice from the city was real? All of it would no longer be trustworthy. And so it is with the faithful pastor and the faithful leader. They are not to alter the message. They are to remain faithful to what God has said. They are to, if they are to ignore pieces of the message, if they are to ignore or warp pieces of the message, then they ignore and warp who God is. No wonder God wants and desires faithful messengers people who are faithful to his word. Finally, a faithful leader is committed to walk in holiness before God. A faithful leader is committed to walk in holiness before God. Notice again, verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. Robert Murray McShane was a famous Scottish preacher who died at a young age, and he is famous for saying this, the greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. Now, McShane didn't say that from a position of pride, but instead as a recognition that the integrity of the message depends upon the integrity of the messenger. If no one can trust the messenger, why should the message itself be trusted. So the leader must be committed to grow in holiness. They must be committed to continually examine their hearts and lives to see if there is any, any unhealthy love or reliance on food or on drink or on television, the praise of others, the desire to please others, the avoidance of difficult conversations, and more and more and more. All Christians are called to this, but especially the leader. Verse 6 tells us why. A faithful leader causes many to turn from iniquity. Causes many to turn from iniquity. Just as an unfaithful leader paves a road to destruction that many will follow, the good news is that a faithful pastor, a faithful leader, a faithful teacher can be used by God to turn many, to lead others to repentance, to leave behind the way of iniquity. This is the incredible challenge and yet also the incredible grace of Christian ministry. This is why James says not many of you should become teachers. It's because God has high expectations for those who serve Him, for those who would serve as His messengers. And yet he is also pleased to faithfully bolster and grow the church in holiness through their faithfulness. The calling is high. The cost is high. But the glory that awaits those who are faithful is far higher. The highest calling of a leader in the church is to God's glory and to God's word. If you have been hurt by a leader in the past. Whether it was a pastor, just a, another leader in the church, if you've been personally hurt by those who don't take seriously God's word, God's glory, God's call to holiness, perhaps they treated it in a trivial manner, or something that was unimportant. If you find yourself in that place, remember the words of this passage God is take seriously such crimes against his holiness, against his glory, that God will not be mocked. Do not let the failure of others lead you astray from the goodness of God. And for others of you, perhaps you are in positions of leadership in the church, and as you look at this passage, you think, wow, that calling is way too hard for me. It's way too high for me. Who do I turn my resignation into? As you examine your heart, as you examine your commitment to awe, to, your glo- to the glory of God, as you examine your commitment to the word of God, to your own calling of holiness, you might find that you are guilty of unfaithfulness. I look at my life and, I, and, and, and it's true of me. As I read this passage, I confess that all too often I find myself guilty of these things, of not wholly remaining in awe of God, succumbing to the temptation to drift from the message, to think of my own holiness as something that's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. The glorious truth of Scripture is that we have a great high priest who has remained faithful, a great high priest who will never fail us, who will never disappoint us, even as others fail and disappoint us today. Consider the words of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant, for he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. of the Christian leaders to God's glory and to God's holiness, and only one has ever fulfilled that calling perfectly. And he is our great high priest. He will never fail us. He will never disappoint us. So let's find our hope and our rest in him today. Let's pray. Lord, we stand humbled at the great calling that you have placed on your people. And as we look at that, we can say, who is worthy of such a calling? And the answer is none but one. And yet we thank you that that one has interceded for us, that he is our great, perfect high priest that he loves us unconditionally, that he offers grace to those who desire it. God, help us to examine our hearts, to repent where we need to repent, to stand in awe of you and remain humble before you. God, your word says that you will look to the one who is humble and trembles at your word.